0: James chapter 1, Who is to Blame? Uh, Part 2. Let me read the text for you, beginning at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then let me read this as well. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. May God bless the reading of his word this morning, dove season started, and I just thought as I thought even of that phrase, dove season, it is a, it is a season, and uh, I'm going to be going with my family to Montana in October, and there's another season there for hunting, but unfortunately, our subject today has no season, for it is in season every single day on lust and temptation. Today is really just such an important message for us as a church family. It's a crucial message for you as dads, um, as you raise both your sons and your, your daughters. It's a crucial day for young men, whether it be in elementary school or whether it be junior high or high school or single men. This is a crucial message today for Young women across the board, for moms, a vital subject for grandparents as you raise your grandkids, as you even want to walk in holiness. This is what our church is all about. We're not here to play church, we're here to look at the Word of God, and we want to walk with Christ. I want to just make an admission to you this morning that as we talk about sin and temptation, my desire. Um, just know this up front is not necessarily to come and give you 10 practical steps to overcoming temptation. I suppose maybe you've heard many of those messages. In fact, some of those messages that I hear are practical. Um, they're okay. But I think sometimes I've walked away from some of those uh, not necessarily connecting or not necessarily understanding how this deal operate. So I want you to know that my aim this morning, (laughs) I'm going to qualify this, is not to be um, intensely practical. Give me a little leverage um, that way. And the reason I say that is I don't think James is directing the text to that end. I don't think James is trying to come at us and say, here's a paradigm to overcome lust. Here's a paradigm. He will tell us that Later in this chapter, but not right here this morning. In fact, James wants us to understand from the text how lust and temptation work. And it's almost as though he peels back the curtain here, peels back the the the, the, the lifts up the hood, if you will, and rather than just putting the key in the car and you don't understand how necessarily some of you do how that car works but probably a good 80% of you don't understand you just know when you put the key in that engine works well this morning what i want to do is not just tell you to get in the car turn the key on i want you to tell i want to tell you from the word of god how the engine works some of you no doubt went out dove hunting this morning you took your gun You probably put your shells in the gun, but you might not have no idea how that gun works, how that gun shoots. You know there's a shell, you know that it comes out the barrel and so forth, but you're not, you don't understand how that firing ring works and the powder works and how the hammer, I don't really understand either, don't act like I'm telling you. Um, But what I want to do today is is in this illustration, I want to tell you how the gun works and hear how this subject of temptation and sin works. Now, you remember as we look to the text in verses 2 through 12, God has exhorted us there, in so many words, to endure life's trials. He said in verse 3, you remember there, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or it produces endurance. He, if you will, bracketed that section, look down in verse 12, where it says, let, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, and so, or who remains uh, it, under that thought of endurance. And so he exhorted us in 2 through 12 to endure, to remain under the weight. Now as we come to verses 13 through 16, he is exhorting us to reject temptation. Now remember the two main features that we've looked at so far in James is that in 1, 2 through 12, our faith, if it's genuine, is tested in trial. And now we're saying secondly, from 13 to 18, it's tested in temptation. And what he does in in verses 13 through 18, is give us two truths, okay, that reveal the source of man's temptation. That's the first truth. And then, in that process of revealing the source of temptation, he corrects any erroneous views about God's character. And we'll probably look at that in two weeks next week with the ministry fair. So there's just two truths here in 13 through 18. First, the source of temptation. And then secondly, we'll look at the character of God. But we begin that two weeks ago on the source of temptation, the source of temptation. And the reason I call it the source is we are answering this question from the text. Where does temptation come from? Where does it come from? And then under here, the source of temptation, we're looking at these three key statements that lo- unlock our understanding of man's temptation, okay? And the first one was the rejection stated. You, you remember a couple of weeks ago in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. There is a very strong Rejection. Let no one say, let no one utter the thought, let no one think the thought, let no one ever even directly or even remotely ever say that in the context of a trial and in this text here, a temptation, that you are being tempted by God. And so here's the source. The first thing he says, there's a rejection. Some people evidently were saying, God, you are responsible. And so James just clarifies, let no one say either directly or indirectly. You say, well, why does he say that? Well, from there, the rejection stated. B, was the reality clarified, is there in verse 13. Here's why. It says, for God cannot be tempted with evil. There's the reason given. And we touched on that, that his character makes such a thought impossible. In other words, God can never, verse 13, tempt anyone to sin, and here's why. Because he himself, in his holiness, in his character, in his nature, can never tempt anyone with evil. It's impossible, and I think we well know that evil repulses God. And so if God cannot be tempted by evil, it follows then, look at the text again in verse 13, last phrase, that he himself tempts no one. So he does, he's not tempted, and if he's not tempted, then how can he tempt anyone else? And if God is not the source uh, tempting us to sin, then the question would be, who or what is? And the answer there is in verse 14, look at it. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so I took you from that reason given, and here's where we left off, at the reality clarified. The reality clarified. In other words, James is making his argument here almost in the court of law that God certainly is not the source of your temptation and my temptation. In other words, if you have greed that comes into your heart this week, if you covet this week, if you make your family an idol this week, if you become enamored with the world this week, if you greed after what the world has and your eyes covet what you see, and this ugly thing called pride enters into your life, James is just saying here by the authority of the Scripture, That temptation does not come from the character of God. He clarifies the reality, and in essence, verse 14 there says, it's our own desire, okay? Here's the real reason for temptation. The source of temptation, as you can see it there, if you underline that word, is our own desire. The NASB says, it's our own lust, okay? Okay? So desire is simply another word for lust. Now, here's where we begin to go, and here's what I just want to tell you. In fact, I would say that what you do with this message in the next one to three years will tell me the whole difference in your life. What you do with this passage as a dad, what you do with this passage as a grandmother, what you do with this passage as a mom, could be the greatest difference maker In your life. And and, and I really want us to understand. What's at stake here. Because what you're going to see. And this will come out. Is sin as a category. Okay. As a category. In fact look at verse 15. Just for a second. It says. Then desire when it has conceived. Gives birth to what? Sin. Now you know and I know. What is sin? It's the missing of the mark. God's standard is holiness. And any time we do not obey his direct commands, we sin. And so here, James is going to show us the process, the path in which sin operates. So rather than me just telling you, here's five practical steps. No, I, I want you to understand what's under the hood, if you will. I want to tell you biblically, you don't have to be a psychologist to know this. You don't have to be, um, have your Ph.D. I want to tell you what the Bible says, how sin works. And, then, and here's my bold statement. It will work this way every single time. So if I come and give you just five practical steps of how to overcome it, you can see that. But if you don't understand the inner working of it, you might never overcome it. And, and let me just say this to you. My heart as your pastor is I just want you to understand how this works because you're going to counsel people who are right here. So remember, on our Sunday, we're gathering to edify. We scatter to evangelize. But as you talk with people, as you disciple people, as you put your arm around young men and women, as you put your arm around young women and older women, as you train younger women, I just want you to understand how it works. And, And I would say... That this subject doesn't just address men, if I looked at it from a sinful physical side, because the reports I get from the Christian college, colleges across the nation, is that there's more pornography that goes on through women's laptops than men's, if you can believe that, okay? So I'm not trying to just say, this is a man issue on the physical side, okay? This is an issue for all of us, and I promise you, no joke, and you know this, your kids will get involved at some level, at some point with this stuff. In fact, they already have it in their sin nature, but I guarantee you, those who are in planned pregnancy are going after the elementary school children right now. So we need to be forewarned and forearmed, but rather than just offering you, here's five practical steps. Let's lift up the hood, let's take the gun apart, and let me show you how it will work, and it will work this way every single time. And so there are, this is what I'm gonna say, five dangerous paths to temptation, okay? And it's obviously right out of the scripture. Step one, okay, it begins with lust desire. I'm going to say it that way. All of these steps, I'll begin with the word lust, but it begins with lust, desire. And I don't have time. We talked about it last week or two weeks ago. There you say, well, what's the step? Well, look at verse 14. You remember that? Underline this. When he is lured away and enticed by his own what? Desire. There, there it is. So where does sin begin? There. What, what is that? It's desire. We translate it, the word lust, it's the word epithumia. What, what is, where does sin begin? It's not with God. Here, James takes us behind the scene, if you will. It begins with an inward mechanism. And the mechanism here is a desire. It's a renegade desire. It's simply the Greek word epithumia. And we talked a couple weeks ago how some desires are holy, right? Some desires are pure. Jesus desired to eat the Passover with the disciples. I get that. He actually, uh, could you say, lusted to eat the desire with the... We talked about that. Not all desires are wrong, right? Not all desires are wrong. We looked at 1 Timothy 3.1. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. In other words, epithumia is just a strong desire. But here, obviously, in this context, it's not God. It begins in your own desire. Sin always begins internally. Sin always feeds on a sinful, radical desire that is apart from obedience to God. It is that, you say, well, Scott, what is that? It's that sin principle that still resides in our fallenness. Yes, you, and yes, me. I'm a new creature. All things are new in Christ. But listen, until you get to glory, you're going to have still a principle that works in you. You say, well, what is that stuff? Well, it's just a sinful desire. It's a desire that's contrary to the revealed will of God. Okay? And we talked about this out of 1 John. You don't have to turn there. In two, for all that is in the world. Remember that? The desires... Of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, you say, "Well, what is that? Well, those are sinful desires they 're in unredeemed people, but till we get to glory, we still have a principle that works in us that can sin in the same way as an unbeliever, according to First John. Remember it says this in first in Peter one fourteen Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's that same word. So it's used to speak of our passions. In fact, he went on in 2.11 of Peter to say that I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain you and I from passions of the flesh. So there we are exhorted to abstain from these passions. When you're not a believer, you have no recourse, no power. But as a believer, you do have recourse and he exhorted you to abstain from from the passions of the lust and I have to be careful that I just keep going there. In other words, you're exhorted to not to. So nobody falls into sin that they just, if you will, uh, I, I just stumbled into it. No, you're exhorted to abstain from them. You're not to go to the places where you should not go because it says in Second 2 Peter 2.11 that the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Right? So, You say, well, Scott, what is it? Well, here's the first step. It's a desire. I I think I might have mentioned to you uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. I don't know if I told you this or not, but he called me one day some years ago, and he said, Scott, I need to come see you. I was at my office, not here. He said, I need to come now. I, I said, okay, let me look at my schedule. He said, no, I need to come right now, and he hung the phone up, and he's coming. Five minutes later, he showed up at my office. I think I might have shared this with you just for the sake of an illustration, and uh, he was in tears, and I wasn't sure if he was faking, or he, he, but it was the real deal because this guy is, is a friend of mine, and he had in his fist his wife's wedding ring. And he slammed it down on my table, and she had just given it back to him 15 minutes ago and said, get out of my house and get out of my life, and we're through. I said, what happened? Well, as she went to get on his laptop computer, all this filth came up. All, I mean, I don't quite know what that means, but it just it started to pop up on the screen. And instantly, she knew the problem with her marriage. And long story short, her husband was looking at pornography for a long time. So what would he do? He'd travel. He'd be away on the weekend. And he would look at pornography a lot. And so once she found this, she took her wedding wing off, gave it back to him. He came down. And said, and he's just in tears. Now, now listen, the, the reason I share that with you is, what do you do with a guy like that? How, how does that begin? What, what happens to that guy? Well, you don't have to be too smart. Here's what happens. He's got a sinful, des- it could happen to anyone. A desire comes into his heart and into his mind and into his Thinking. That's where it begins. I suppose the computer is external. That's secondary to what's going on in his mind and in his imagination. But listen, you say, where does that begin? It begins with a sinful desire. That's step one. God's not the one to blame. God didn't put him in the wrong place. God wasn't tempting him towards sin. He made some choices, He exercised things. He chose to give in to a desire and partake of sin. But listen, that's how that stuff works. You don't have to look back and crawl totally back into his upbringing. He doesn't necessarily need um, a counselor to help him understand why he does that. That is a sinful desire. Forget that. You could have a desire, ladies, for greed, for comfort you could covet someone else's home and covet someone else's house and covet someone else's bank account and covet someone else's clothes and covet someone else's lifestyle or covet someone else's marriage or children and on it goes. You say, where does that begin? Inside, inside, and it begins with a desire that is contrary to God's will. You say, well, where does that desire come from, Scott? If I'm, if I'm a believer and I'm a new creature, listen, you could be a new creature, but I'm telling you, you're going to fight all the way to glory, right? And if you and I and our children here don't wake up to that, they need to snuff out that evil desire when it begins, we'll never understand it. So here's our life. We're walking, as Bunyan said, on our way to Celestial City, okay? And we're walking on a precipice like this on our way to what he called the Celestial City. But he said, we're moving through this place called Vanity Fair. And as we walk through Vanity Fair, there's stuff on our right. There's stuff on our left. There's the world's, And and it's a graphic picture that he gives. But listen, even before you get to Vanity Fair... That stuff's in your heart. And so the real issue and the real place to begin to deal with sin here is at its desire, okay? But it doesn't stop there. Step two, step two is lust deception. Deception, if, if you will, the inward mechanism, here's how it works every time, leads to an external deception. Look at the text in verse 14. Each person is, Is tempted, right, towards evil when, not a matter of if, but when, two, well, two participles in the language, he is lured and enticed by his own lust. Here's what will happen it begins with a desire, okay? Then that inward mechanism grabs hold of an external deception. And what happens? Look at the text. Underline that term there. You are lured, lured. What do you mean lured? It, the NSB says carried away, and and the word here is strong. It means to drag away. In other words, you're moving, and then all of a sudden, sinful desire comes in, and you're drugged. You're pulled, and it's a. In some places, kind of a violent dragging away, watch this, always from a place of security. It is a forceful dragging. In fact, the word here expresses the intensity of the lust drawing out the individual towards the object desired, lured. That word was used, and you understand this, in connection with fishing, okay, A lure is used, fair, to deceive a fish out of its safe, what? Retreat. I do it all the time on the King's River. There's my two fishing buddies right over there. The Bing and the Bomb. We take our fishing pole out. We went in and bought some custom lures. We bought, well, I don't know if they're custom. We liked them. They're called rooster tails, okay? That's the thought there. We put that rooster tail on. It looks like a fly or an insect or sometimes a little fish. And we are what? To lure, luring, luring those fish away. I go out and I stand in the King's River. It's warm now. I take my little lure, cast it out there under the trees, let it go under the trees. And I start pulling that rooster tail through, Right? and i'm pu- and as that rooster tail you get how it works it's got feathers on it it's got a little spinner to catch the sun it reflects off the sun it's coming through what am i doing this fish is safe it's in its retreat it's usually back tucked into a tree and i'm just ch- 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 and i'm just pulling that lure through and behind those feathers on that rooster tail is a big fat treble what hook okay Now, I use that one, and then a friend here in our church, I won't say his name, but Brent Jackson has some good ideas. He gave me one for bass on the top of the water. Same angle, it's just a little, where is Brent, is he here? It's called a topper, well, a topper, a popper, I always get it wrong. It's called a popper, I'd call it a topper, it's for bass. I throw it on the top, but I renamed it Brent. To the stopper. Because I got a couple of them. And you get the idea. I throw it over there. I can see it coming. It's plopping on the top. Brent told me how to do it. Reel it in. Chuck it. Just pull it. And it looks like a little... And they're the bass. And they're toast. Okay? But I'm waiting for some bigger ones. I'm not catching too many big ones yet. Um, But you understand how this works. Okay? They're in their retreat. Okay? And, And they are... I am disguising a lure... Uh, if you will, and disguising the hook. Just a few months ago, I spoke at a a retreat for a bunch of young people, just had an absolute blast in Montana. And I was in this place called Bozeman, Montana. And I, I, they just got some cool stores there. They say, Scott, you know, if you come into Montana and grab a, f- a fishing magazine, eight out of the top ten places are right there in Bozeman. And I went into this store called River's Edge, and I walked into this lure factory. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, people just go to great details to tie these and feather these things, and then to hide the the treble hook. And it was a whole store on lures. And and. Listen, you say, what's the picture? Do you get the picture, James? Watch this. Sinful desire, inward mechanism, step one. Step two is you become lured out of your safe retreat. This is how it works. Like my friend who would pull off the highway to go into a filthy place is all that needs to be said. But A lot of people do this. You don't know where they're going. They know where they're going. He can see the signs in the billboards. You say, well, Scott, what, what, why would a guy do that? Well, no, 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 listen. Here's why he does it. Step one, desire in his heart. Step two, he's dragged out. He sees the billboard. So what does he do? He, he's being drawn down the path, is he not? In fact, just for the sake of, of a word, look what James says. He says, here's how it works. And this is still step two, okay, under deception. It says that he's tempted when he's lured and what? Enticed, okay? Enticed. Very interesting word, deliazo. Different than the first one. You're sucked out then you're enticed. You say, what is that? It means baited. It means to be deceived. And it is the picture here. Watch this. It it, it might have connotations towards fishing, but he goes to hunting here, I think. It's to be baited and deceived, and it is the picture of trapping, if you will, with bait either for hunting and possibly fishing in the external scriptures. Do you know what that word enticed means there in verse 14? It just means to be captured. Literally, it means to be hooked. And you have heard of the expression hooked on drugs, right? Some of you might have been thinking, hooked on phonics. Let's stay with hooked on drugs. Another name for a prostitute is a what? Hooker. You say, how does it work? Here's how it works. Don't be naive. Dad, you got to train your kids. Here's how it works every time. Sinful desire. You better shut it down. If you don't shut the sinful desire down, you're all of a sudden moving, and here's Vanity Fair, and you're on a precipice. You begin to get lured away. Rather than staying on the straight and narrow looking, you're getting sucked, and you get dragged, if you will, but that's not it. Then you become enticed, and that's the bait, if you will, okay? And so temptation works this way. Desire is luring us away, drawing out you from that place of shelter and from that place of insecurity. And as you get sucked out, then there's bait there. Like my friend who would pull off the highway and drive into those places. And I think I might have mentioned him too. I said, what are you doing? He confessed this to me. I said, those, those things have security cameras. I mean, did you, you ever just think like uh, someone will see you? <laughs> I, di- I didn't even know what to ask him. And that's the guy that told me, I wear a hat. That's what he told me. He wears a hat. And, and by the way, I wouldn't even say in a room this size that what I'm talking about might be going on. He wears a hat. And he wears sunglasses. And he goes in. You say, well, that guy's kind of sick. No, I think he's just, he's a man. And you say, well, that guy's got a deep problem. No, he doesn't have a deep problem. No temptation's overtaking you such as, but I'll tell you what happens. Step one, sinful desire. He's thinking something in his imagination. But if you don't shut it down there, it's going to go to step two and you're going to get lured away, okay? And then as you get lured away, you're going to be baited, if you will, and enticed. And back to the analogy, the fish is lured away, fair? It sees the bait, and it is enticed, if you will, to bite at the impulse. And so the fish then are lured out of its retreat to take the bait that hides the hook. In fact, there were times as a little kid when I'd be at this place called Bishop, and I'd go to Twin Lakes. It was so fun. I'd take my pole, and we were fishing in the stream there. And, you know, once in a while, you'd catch those rooster tails by a rock. And, but, you know, sometimes they would just bite, and, they, you know, your rod there would go crazy. But sometimes at Twin Lakes, I'd go stand off to the rushing water. There'd be a very, like, calm pool of stream. And there were sometimes I'd just go stand on a rock, toss my little line over there, and I could watch the fish come out of the retreat. And I would be like, take it, boy, take it. You know, I'd be trying to talk to them. It's like the fish whisper, Take it, take it. But you know what? Usually the trout would never just dart and take it. Bass might do that. But the rainbow trout would be drawn. They'd come up and stop and wonder, then they'd go back in and I'd just keep reeling the spinners catching the sun. They think it's an insect. This this is in many ways the deception of lust. I mean, you would agree if only the fish knew. If only the fish knew that a big fat hook awaited him, and if only the believer realized that his own lust is enticing him to temptation. And so these fish are often captured By a tasty morsel of bait that is disguised behind an instrument of death. I mean, once you get glued on the treble hook, you're toast on that thing, right? This is what happens in temptation. I mean, think about it this way, biblically. The woman, Genesis 3, 6, saw that it was good for food. That's desire and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and the rest is history. That's how it works every time. Sam Storm said this, Sin comes to us, to you, to me, It taps us on the shoulder or tugs at our shirt tail and whispers in our ear. You deserve better than what God has provided. He's holding out on you. You deserve to feel good about yourself. And by the way, I could see 30 men that I know that have buried their marriage. And this is exactly what they think. I'll affirm you in a way that no one else can. Why live in misery any longer? Come to me. I'll give you a sense of power you've never known before. I'll expand your influence. I'll fill your heart with a sense of accomplishment. I'll nourish your soul. You've never had a physical rush like the one I've got in store for you. Storms goes on to say, obeying God is boring. It's a pain. He's always telling you to do stuff that's difficult and burdensome and inconvenient or ordering you to forsake the few things that really bring you happiness. Come on. You've only got one life. Obedience is ugly. My way is fun. My way feels good. End of quotes. That's what he does. And you say, well, how does he do that? He, you get, you, he says sin comes to us. Sometimes it's our flesh. Sometimes it's Satan, is it not? That he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to, what? Devour. Thomas Boston, the great Puritan, said of Satan, which isn't necessarily here in James 1, but I'll fill it out because we know that Satan tempted Jesus. Satan, here's what Boston said of Satan. Great little Puritan book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's devices. He said what he'll do is he'll present the bait and hide the hook. He'll present the golden cup and hide the poison. He'll present the sweet, the pleasure, the profit that may flow upon the soul by yielding to sin and by hiding from the soul the wrath and the misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. By this device, he took our first parents. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall surely not die. Here is the bait, Brooks said, the sweet, the pleasure, the profit. But oh, he hides the hook, the shame, the wrath, the loss that would certainly follow. Wow. Listen, we need to, we just need a reality check this morning. Step one, desire, lust. Step two, deception, painting sin in lustrous colors, but hiding the hook. But then there's step three. I wish he was done, but he's not. Then, do you see it there? Verse 15, then. In fact, you might want to just stop there. See, Scott, you're going to just stop on one word? I I guess so, yeah. Why? Because it's the word of God. Every word is inspired. You say, what does the word then mean? Well, take it, take it with me in the context that it points to a sequence, right? You take the bait, then something else happens. You say, well, what happens? Look at verse 15. It says, then desire, when it has, what? Conceived, gives birth to sin. Okay? And so he switches the metaphor From fishing, hunting, to the metaphor of conception, birth, and labor. So sin starts with lust desire. Something you saw. Something you desired. Something you wanted to covet. Some greedy aspect. Then deception steps in step two and it lures you away, and it entices you with the bait, then, third step, lust finally disobeys. So thirdly here, lust desire, lust deception, lust disobedience. You say, well, how so, Scott? Well, look at it again. When it has conceived, okay? Now follow me here. The desire, sinful desire, that goes unchecked, conceives. Fair. You can read it. I read it. It gives birth. And it gives birth to something. What is it? Look at it, verse 15. It gives birth to what? Sin. Now, let me just explain something under step three here. Desire itself is not sin. Let me rephrase that. Temptation itself is not sin. Fair. Yes or no, Jesus was tempted in all things and yet without what? Sin. Temptation is not sin. It's what happens in the mechanism after that. I mean, I suppose if you take every thought captive, what you feel might be a desire as you're walking on the precipice can be taken captive to the obedience of Christ and you keep going. But watch this desire's not sin. But sin, listen, this is theology, occurs when sinful desire leads to deception and then you take the bait and therefore you disobey God. So what do you mean disobey? Listen, when the will is engaged, disobedience occurs. Temptation itself is not sin so thus the example of Jesus. But when temptation is yielded to, it becomes sin and you miss God's standard and there is a moral wickedness. Now, I would want to clarify one thing. Some people would say, listen, sin happens when you touch, but not when you see. And some men think they have a license to look up and down, if you will, a woman. And it's just wrong. I mean, because you could commit adultery, Jesus said, in your, what, hearts. So some people are going to say, hey, uh, just, hey, Pastor, it's just like a woman who's walking in the Fresno Mall and she's window shopping. Well, well, Pastor, it's just like a man. I can look at her, but I don't have to touch her. I'm just window shopping. An unbeliever can say that, but not a believer. Because if you look on a woman and lust after her in your hearts, you've committed adultery and so when temptation is yielded to it becomes sin here's lust disobedience fourth step though ah, i'm just trying to teach the scripture here is lust deformity look at 15 ah oh, it's a scary word then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin comma what's the next word i have the word and ooh That's just a scary word. You say, how so, Scott? Look at the text again. It's not just one little article. And, watch this. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Here's lust deformity. Listen, I'm just trying to explain what happens to you. Okay? What happens to anybody, it's deformity. I don't know another way to say it. When the will's engaged and you partake, and you conceive of sin, look at the text again. And I'm trying to explain to some um, moms (laughs) and wives what happens to men. And maybe I shouldn't be that explicit, but I'm going to explain this to you. Sin, when it is fully, what? Grown. In other words, once you conceive of sin, The only way I can take this is sin grows up. Sin matures, is the phrase. Sin begins to take a life of its own. In other words, you think, ah, it's just one sin. No, it's not. You begin to engage the will over and over to the point that it is a, a deformity taking place. And it will take you farther and faster down the hill than you will ever want. It will begin to take on a life of its own. It's what the text says. It will fully grow up. It will fully mature. Scary. Like the woman who said, Pastor, I'm just so embarrassed. I said, what happened? She went into the video store. She's probably dating myself a little bit. They still have video stores? She said, I just felt, Pastor, my husband is watching stuff he shouldn't watch, seeing stuff. I travel, and when I travel, I just, you know, woman's intuition knows her husband. She told me she walked into the video store. She pulled out of her purse her wallet and said, I'd like, I'd like to see my bill. For my family. And she showed the, the, the clerk. Her wallet. With her name. And. I could still see her telling me this. She said pastor as soon as I gave that man behind the counter. My name. He went like this. And for five more minutes. I never was looked in the eye. Say why? Why? She recognized the last name of her, and recognized her husband's last name, and he instantly knew what he would rent, if you will. Okay, not talking R-rated movies, and he could never look her in the eye. You say, "Well, what happens there, Scott?" Back it up. Sinful desire, deception takes place, disobedience occurs, and this is scary. You think, I'm just done. No, 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 you may not be done. Deformity sets in apart from confession, and it will take you down a road you don't want to go. So listen, we don't want to play with sin, do we? And so listen, I don't, you know, five practical steps here. No, I just tell you how it works. And if you know how it works, then maybe you can cut it off at the pass before it begins. And, you know, I think of that couple, and I want to be careful because... You never want to violate a confidence. That was at the beginning of the counseling time. But a few months later, I walked into a meeting blindsided with her and her husband. And on my table, she threw pictures. Not, not, not like bad pictures. Well, it was bad, but not, not um, explicitly. Well, let me explain. She hired a detective on her husband. You know, there's a big trust factor when you don't trust what your husband's doing, and she picked up her phone and hired a private eye. And he began to sit across the street and take pictures of him where he would come out. Now he said that he was coming out with business associates, but I'm telling you, I don't think those women were dressed like business associates. See, Scott, why'd you tell the story? Here's why I'm telling you: computer won't last you'll go to something else. And then when that something else no longer satisfies you, you'll go to something else. And before long, it won't be the eye engagement only. It will begin to take a life all of its own. Listen, I'm pleading with you, moms. I'm pleading with you, dads. I don't think you're exempt grandpas in here, okay? You say, how does it work? Here's how it works. Step one desire. Step two, deception. Step three, disobedience. Step four, uh, deformity. It begins to take a life of its own, if you will. So step one, your mind is engrossed. Step two, you're lured and enticed. Your infections are ignited. Step three, sin conceives. The will is engaged. Step four, it gives birth to sin. And I call that enslavement ensues. So how could a guy just get that enslaved to sin? Oh, real easy, real easy. The mind is on fire, the affections are baited, the will is given birth, and bondage has clamped on. It's frightening. Well, there's a final one, because the text has a final one, right? Always, we're going to teach the Bible. You say, well, is it over? No, it's not over. Look at 15, you see it. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. There's the fifth step. Desire, deception, disobedience, deformity, death. You can see it there in 15. It brings forth death. Paul said that the wages of sin is what? Death. And you remember the warning in the Garden of Eden that God gave of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said the day you eat from it, you shall surely what? Die. What's interesting here is that the conception here Unlike a mother and a child, you see, which brings life, this brings death in sin. Now you might ask the question here, verse 15. We always have to explain it right. What kind of death is this? The question. Is it spiritual death? Could be. I mean, the day you sin, you're gonna spiritually die. You not, you know, yeah, possibly. It, It could be secondly, physical death, right? The day you sin, you're going to not only spiritually die, you're going to physically die. Thirdly, in some cases, he's speaking of eternal death. It's hard to know. I think James just writes, and he's giving a sweeping statement on the destructiveness of sin is that sin brings death. Listen to this without turning there. Tell me if this is not clear of the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7. With her many persuasions, She entices him. And with her flattering lips, she seduces him. And suddenly, he follows her. As an ox goes to the what? Slaughter. As as one in the fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, and as a bird hastens to the snare, it says, he does not know that it will cost him his, what, life. The tape's just trying to help us. Just pull the hood up, pull the gun apart. This is how it works. This is how it works every time. You ever hear the count by Paul Harvey? I usually refrain telling this story, but I don't think I will with you. Women, if you're offended by this story, come tell me afterward, okay? I told it in Montana, and they loved it because they're fishers, fishermen and hunters, and that includes the women, okay? But I heard this from Paul Harvey. He tells the story, have you heard this, about how an Eskimo kills a wolf? To me, it's just apropos to this text of of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. The account is a bit grisly, yet it offers, I think, a fresh, really, insight into the destructive nature of temptation. What the Eskimo does is he takes a knife, Not a little one, a big one, like a, I call it a mini sword. He takes a a large knife and he coats that knife with animal blood. And then he allows that animal blood around that knife to freeze. He freezes it. Then he adds another layer of blood and another layer of blood and another layer of blood and another layer of blood. And you understand that knife, that sharp instrument is completely concealed by the frozen blood. Then what the Eskimo does is he goes out into the night, the Arctic night, and he takes that knife and with the butt of the knife, the, the handle of the knife, he just just pounds it right into the Arctic night, if you will, with the blade straight up and it's completely frozen with blood. And then the wolf follows, obviously, incredibly sensitive nose to the source of the scent and he discovers the bait and he licks You can imagine it. He tastes the fresh, frozen blood. And he begins to lick faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade into the Arctic night. And so great is his craving for blood that the wolf does not know or notice the razor sharp sting of the naked blade on his tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his own insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. And his carnivorous appetite just craves more and more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. He doesn't know when to stop. He doesn't know when to stop. He doesn't know the moment. It's not the blood on the knife, and it's his own blood. And I think, listen, we live in a world I would refrain from speaking where homosexuality, so what is that? Right brain, left brain? No. Insatiable, carnivorous, sinful lust. That's what it is. Now, listen, you can have that sin and be an adulterer, But we're not at loss as to what that is. It is lust out of control. Out of control. So, do you understand verse 16 as we close? Look, do not be what? Deceived. Now, you might ask the question deceived about what? Deceived about sin. And here in the text, deceived about the source of sin. It is not God, it is desire that leads to deception, that leads to disobedience, that leads to deformity and leads to death. It is not God. It is not your spouse. Here in this text, it is not the devil. You say, where does it come from? Jesus said, remember Mark 7, Matthew 7, for from what? Within Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, the thefts, the murders, the adulteries, the deeds of coveting, the deeds of wickedness, as well as deceit. Jesus said sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things proceed from within and defile the man. The problem is not God. The problem is your own sin. Somebody said the problem is not the tempter on the outside. The real problem is the traitor on the inside. Pogo, the part cartoon character, was famous for the saying, you get it? We have, met, we have met the enemy, and he is us. We are the enemy. Do you think that's why David prayed in Psalm 51 against thee? And thee only have I what? Sin. Because all true confession and repentance of sin is vertical. I've met many people, men, <laughs> who have cried in front of me like a baby. And I don't mean that like they're a baby. They're just sobbing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then they run right back to the filth. I'm so, a week later, I'm sorry. I, I just. I, and you say, is it fake? I don't know. But at the moment, it might seem real to them. But when you really understand repentance and confession, there will be a 180, a pursuit of sin that finds you going this way that leads towards a path of repentance. Well, then he says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So what does that mean? Well, you've got to come back in two weeks and we'll discuss what that means, Okay.